everybody. Thank you for tuning in to this episode of Inside Insights, a podcast powered by Zappi. In this podcast, we explore change all around us in culture, in business, in education, and in our jobs and in our careers. I'm joined today by my distinguished co-host and good friend, Babita Earl. Hi, Babita. Hi, Ryan. Hi, everybody. How are you doing, Ryan? Babita, I'm doing great. This uh, is being recorded on the day before the U.S. election, and I'm hoping that we have some results tomorrow instead of what I expect to be multiple weeks of uh, uncertainty. Oh, no, I know. It's it's such a... I'm so excited about it. I'm just so scared as well. Let's hope we get the outcome we want. That's it. That's it. All right. So let's let's change gears because we got an exciting topic today, Vita. We're interviewing a good friend of ours. Mm -hmm. Tell us about it. Tell us about our interview today. Yeah. So this was a really great conversation and it was with somebody who I I talk to every single day, believe it or not. So Kate Shard, she is um, Senior Director for ADA, which is PepsiCo Digital Transformations Initiative. So Kate and I are partners in crime um, and we, we work really, really closely together. And as you can imagine, on a daily basis, we talk about work, work. So this was a real opportunity for me to um, ask Kate the kind of questions that we don't really get the chance to talk about, understand a bit more about her, her journey, because she's on a, in a really interesting role, which I think is going to become a more commonplace for other insight professionals. And I've got to tell you this, Ryan, this was my second interview because the first one I did, I forgot to record. Can you believe it? I was, I was devastated. But if I was going to do that with somebody, <laughs> Kate was the person. So Kate, thank you so much for putting up with my silliness. So should we go to the interview, Ryan? Yes. And we'll never know which version was best. I just have a question before we get to the interview. How long into the interview did you realize you weren't recording it? At the end when we finished. Um, I was gutted. It's only because I got a lot of love for you. That's one of the funniest things I've heard. I I can only imagine all the swear words that hit that desk when it when it happened <laughs> i know i know i will never make that mistake again but there you go lesson learned so let's go to the interview let's do it so today i have a very special guest kate shard from pepsico kate is global senior director in the digitization team And I'm really excited about this conversation and I'll tell you why, because Kate and I talk every single day. Well, it feels like every single day and we talk about our day job. But what I have the opportunity now is to have a very different conversation with Kate, the kind that we should be having more frequently to understand more about her. This is really cool. And I'm glad we've got the space to do this. I know you're really, really busy. So Kate, did you want to sort of introduce your role and what you do at PepsiCo before I start asking you all the questions that I've always wanted to ask you? Great. Yeah. Thank you so much. And I'm really excited to be here today and to have this conversation as well. Like you said, we often don't have time to take to reflect and really kind of think about our, our journey as professionals. Um, so I uh, currently have a really interesting role at PepsiCo. So I'm leading what we call our digitalization effort, which is really just a very fancy uh, McKinsey-esque type of word that mm-hmm. um, relates to how you use technology and digitizing of work to really change the way that that people work 
to make it more productive, more impactful, better, um, that kind of a thing. So that's really kind of all things sort of tech, but interrelated with the human side, right? Love, how do you use tech and how people work to drive impact? Right. So you, the few things there which really resonate to our industry and the future of our industry, you know, obviously our podcast is all about change. So we're going right. to dive into that a bit more, but also technology, so the, the conversation about man and machine as well, because it seems right. to be a, a really important part of your role. Sort of like to take you back mm-hmm. to your, when you started in research, because what we want our listeners to be inspired by is all these stories and journeys that are out there. And so take us, take us back to when you started in research. Was it a career that you chose or was it a career that you fell into? I would definitely say it was the latter uh, fell into. Um, and it, it's a kind of a roundabout journey. But um, when I was in college, I had been studying arts and sciences as kind of a broad area for a degree because I liked a lot of things and I had a lot of interest, but it was hard for me to pin down exactly what I wanted to major in. And so I ended up picking psychology after I took Psych 101 and I completely fell in love with the topic. So I, I found it to be just so fascinating, right? Like to sit around and think about, you know, why people do what they do. And then the kind of marriage of that with the, the science, the part of, you know, statistics and data collection and how you can use rigor to get signals in the noise, I found really fascinating. So mm-hmm. instead of just thinking like, well, I don't understand why that is the way it is. It's like, well, I can actually create a, an inquiry to figure this out. I found that really fascinating. But as I got toward the end of my degree, my parents were asking me, you know, what are you going to do with a psychology degree? And I'm like, I don't know. Uh, a lot of the career paths that are kind of pushed from academia are either continue and get a PhD and, and become a professor or, you know, the clinical route where you can become a therapist. Neither of those really interest me that much. So I, I kind of went out into the world and worked for a bit, um, working kind of in employee opinion research. I did that mm-hmm. gig for a couple of years, which was uh, a way to apply statistics into a real world environment, but it was a little bit dry. Uh, basically, yeah. every um, every study we did said the same things, pay people more, <laughs> you know, give them better work-life balance and, you know, and, and, and make them empowered. Um, so today, really. Right, right exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Right. You don't really need to do a bunch of survey research to tell you that. Um, Around that time, I had been watching this program on TV where they were um, delving into marketing and then more specifically research within marketing. And I was so fascinated. I'm like, wait, I can do what I like, but apply it to brands? Like, that's so cool. So um, I started researching like, well, what kind of, you know, master's program should I do to be able to get into that? And mm-hmm. um, kind of fell into an MBA program coming off that because I wanted to learn more about marketing. Um, and around that time, I also... Um, got the role at um, Nielsen working in the Basies division. So that's very much like sales forecasting and innovation testing and optimization as kind of an area of discipline. And that was a really great fit for me and it gave me an opportunity to really um, build out my expertise um, in that space. Yeah. And then I did that. I stayed at um, that company for for quite a while. I was there for over seven years and worked on all different types of accounts and kind of maximized my experience and wanted to do something new. And around that Mm -hmm. time, got an opportunity to come to PepsiCo when we were standing up our global teams to work on um, global snacks. So I uh, started off working in innovation and then expanded to having a brand experience and working on advertising, which was so cool. I got to work on Lay's brand, which is like the biggest uh, snack brand in the 
world. Um, yeah. And so I did that for a number of years. And then um, about two and a half, three years ago, um, we were really thinking about as a function, how are we going to evolve? How are we going to change? And around that time, the capability team was stood up, which was really kind of getting people dedicated to thinking about this. And that's when mm -hmm. I came into this new role, really leading this charge. Yeah. So obviously you went from agency side to client side and there's both both sides of the industry are changing and evolving. What do you see are the sort of major differences? And 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 obviously you've you've flourished at PepsiCo and the current role that you have is super interesting. People who go on agency side tend to stay on agency side and client side tends to stay client side. And there's this also this this friction that I sometimes hear that, oh, client side is really easy, you know. What's your um, reflection on that comment? Yeah, it's interesting because I think when I was at Basie's, I saw a lot of the sort of traditional insights role as a project manager type of role mm -hmm. and didn't interest me that much, right? Because like I enjoyed being the one to craft the story, to tell, yeah. you know, give the presentation to influence the marketers and the business leaders to make the decisions they were making. But mm -hmm. the opportunity when I came to PepsiCo was very much to take that skill set but bring it in house. Right. And so, and then, so that was really exciting because I was able to kind of come in and make impact kind of day one. Mm -hmm. And then what was so compelling about um, being at PepsiCo is that it wasn't just this narrow, um, engagement around, you know, I validated this product um, or did this forecast, but actually having the full end to end experience and having access to, um, you know, running qualitative research and marrying that with quantitative research with, you know, sales and trend data and, you know, just having a broader aperture for um, how to drive impact was really exciting to me. And so for, for me, it, it's a place I, I, I'm much more comfortable in and that I don't think I would go back. <laughs> the other, the other reason why I would be hesitant to go back to um, kind of quote unquote supplier side is that I think it was the industry was ripe for change and the opportunity for me to drive that change and to have influence in that way is greater in my new role and in my new kind of gig than I felt in the past. You know, I mm -hmm. think structurally a lot of sort of legacy or traditional insights companies are struggling to figure out how to evolve and change in ways that, you know, I'm not burdened with in my current role. <laughs> Sure. So let's let's come into some of that change. Can you describe to our listeners what is the change that you are looking to drive? Because you've talked about marrying technology with human skills, um, and digitization is at the centre of all of that. Um, can you simplify what what is that change and what's that from and to that you're looking to see? Right. Yeah. So I would say that it started off with a fairly narrow narrow focus on digitizing survey research. So how do we take, you know, kind of what we do on a daily basis, but use technology and automation to make it much faster and much simpler. Mm -hmm. um, and in that process also better, right? So let's not just take something that's not working very well and just make a digitized version of that, but can we actually through this process, think about the methodology and the design of how we run the research and make it better. Um, and that's really at the heart of the work that we do with Zappy, right? Is um, how do we make that whole test and learn, as we call it, engine work more effectively. Um, and then in addition to that, the kind of part where it brings in the human side is, as we started embarking on making the survey research better and faster, it brings you to a broader point, which is, if you start thinking at a platform level, like how do we do more with all of the information that we have, not just survey research, but you know, broader insights learning, it brought us to the conclusion that we needed to think about building kind of a big, bigger, 
platform. Um, and we've actually named that platform Ada, which you may have heard of. Um, it's named after Ada Lovelace, um, who is kind of a famous mathematician that wanted to have a bit of an internal brand and uh, inspiration. So it, it kind of, the, the, the natural progressions led us to this idea of we need to build something bigger. So what mm -hmm. is Ada, right? Um, and what we've come to is it's it's about knowledge management, but it's bigger than that, right? So it's about mm -hmm. having access to all the information and, and democratizing that learning. But also, you know, using technology to have a space to connect as professionals from community perspective, ask an expert, that kind of a thing. So um, over the last year, we've been really focusing on building out the ADA site, which is um, about to launch um, actually this month. So that's kind of the newer piece of what I'm working on. But at the heart of what we do is really that digitized um, survey research. So, you know, when we've talked to organizations about digitization, it's for a business purpose. What's your vision in terms of how this changes the role of you as an insight team within broader PepsiCo and the, the business value and the business imperative around that change? Yeah, that's a really great question. Um, and it's something that as insights professionals, we don't always naturally do a good job of, of saying like, is this is what I'm doing actually going to drive impact, right? Um, we tend to get kind of caught up in intellectual pursuits and you know, a bit what I call navel gazing, you know, mm -hmm. thinking about methodology in sort of in a narrow way, um, like you know, scales and uh, questionnaire design and those kinds of things. So um, what's really important with what we're doing is always kind of taking that step back and saying like, well, how can I drive impact? How can I make sure that we're, we're getting the growth that we need? And so, um, I, I think it's really uh, something that we're focusing on, like with the sort of two areas, innovation and then advertising, right? So from an innovation perspective, it's all about how do we use the learning that we're getting from consumers to really ignite creativity and help the designers um, get the best outcomes that they can. And that's a very different mindset than in the past where innovation was very much stage gate and uh, we were using consumers to really set, tell us go, no go, which is kind of crazy, right? Like mm -hmm. the consumers shouldn't be telling us what we should and shouldn't do. They should just be helping us understand if what we're doing is making sense. So that's very much a focal point of how can we drive innovation outcomes to be more effective. On advertising, um, it's it's similar, but I think the, the bigger opportunity with advertising is around how we link our survey data to our media performance. So as we invest more in understanding um, how to make our media investments more effective, how can we link that back to a pre-testing environment? And personalization is becoming a really hot area, right? So how can we get more granular in our learnings and more effective um, at that kind of pre um, pre uh, pre-flight, pre-launch optimization space. Mm -hmm. So those are kind of two ways in which we're really thinking about how we drive impact with the work that we do. So at the heart of this, you have got what, 500 insight professionals across PepsiCo's organization and technology alone, activating new technology and rolling out new technology alone is not going to cut it, I guess. And that you've got to sort of change the hearts and minds of the insights professionals to to adopt this technology, use it and activate it in the right way. And I guess that's not an easy thing to do, especially when, as you say, that we've been doing things in a certain way for such a long time. How are you finding that, that journey, you know, that change behavior journey, basically? Yeah, I think it's a really great question. And it's, been a lot harder than I thought it would be because <laughs> um, I thought you know of course everyone's gonna want this change because we really need to evolve and change as a as an organization right yeah and I think that you get a lot of head nods when you talk about the vision and people agree with that I think where the change is hard is much more in the um how is it going to impact me in my life right and mm -hmm. 
on the one hand, I think nobody really loves the project management aspects of the insights role, but they're comfortable there, right? Like, so the one of the things I think is going to change and already is changing is the amount of time that an insights professional spends on managing suppliers, managing projects, you know, reviewing questionnaires, you know, brands lists and all this kind of stuff goes away when you replace that largely with technology, right? So we standardize and we scale those things that don't really add value. So that's a good portion of how people spend their time today. And that kind of goes away. We'll get what gets put in its place. One of the things that we'd wanted to do um, initially was to very much um, land self-service as a primary um, uh, output of this work, right? So meaning that the insights professional, it's like Amazon, the insights professional can order their research and then get the output of that, understand it, and then use that with their um, marketing and cross-functional teams to really land impact. Mm -hmm. What we found is that that leap to adopting new methodology on top of uh, tech-driven ways of commissioning to tech-driven ways to outputting it, it, and then also you have to be the person who stands in the room and tells the team, what does it mean? And what do we do with it? That's mm -hmm. a huge amount of change and it's overwhelming is what yeah. we're finding. And so being able to provide people a bit of support and helping make that transition has become important um, thing that we're learning. So making some investments within my team to have essentially that kind of consultant in-house, right? So rather than seeking that expert opinion outside, we want to build that expertise internally, but teams need a little bit of help. And mm -hmm. it's not that they're uh, adverse to doing the work. It's that they just want some support, right? Like a sparring mm -hmm. partner. Who can I call and bounce my ideas off of? How can I make sure that the way I'm interpreting this information is right? Mm -hmm. um, and so that's kind of one of the key learnings I've gotten in terms of how we think about change management and how we make this, this effective. Yeah, so would you say the easy bit or the challenging bit is the human change or the technological change? Because it seems like you probably yeah. went into this process thinking actually it's about getting the products automated and standardized and but actually perhaps the more challenging piece has been the the human side of this yeah i i think so i mean i think they're interrelated and the technology bit what's really hard on that is that we as a function we're not effective or we're not efficient to go to begin with so when you try to automate something that's not efficient it really mm -hmm. makes clear where the weaknesses are mm -hmm. and the fact that we developed as a function very much in this kind of highly customized, long timeline type of projects. You know, in like my past life, an average project probably took three, three months, three, four months, and mm -hmm. was very specific, very customized, right? And uh, all the research is sort of done and then thrown away. Like there's no sense of platform reuse, recycle, right? <laughs> uh, get smarter over time. Like there's none of that kind of mentality within the function. We didn't grow up thinking that way, right? So mm -hmm. when you then transition to getting people to think that way, um, there's a big learning curve around, well, how do you standardize, right? Like something as simple as a brands list, like, my God, there's everybody you ask will have a different opinion and none of them are particularly right or wrong. It's just like, okay, we'll draw a line in the sand and make a decision, right? But even getting people to agree to that, uh, you know, some of that nitty gritty detail in the questionnaire has been hard. And then you look to the technology to try to solve the problem for you, right? So on things that don't matter that much, I'll be like, well, just you know, just let them do whatever they want on X, Y, Z. Well, it turns out sometimes that that's actually really hard to execute from a technology perspective. So you end up with these tensions where we're trying to sometimes use tech to solve a human problem and, and, and vice versa, right? So mm -hmm. um, I think that's 
a lot more complicated than I would have thought. But then it, in hindsight, it's like, well, it kind of makes sense. We're not an efficient function. We haven't trained people to think in the right ways, right? Mm -hmm. We don't think about macro impact. We think about, you know, did I do this particular design right? You know, it's a very <laughs> narrow sort of intellectual process that uh, yeah. we've been trained, which on some level gives us rigor. It gives us um, expertise yeah. that's useful, but it's useful to a point and then it becomes a problem, right? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. yeah. So thinking about insight professionals of the future, what would you say are the most important skills of the future for for teams like yours, like internal insight teams to continue to be relevant um, and at the forefront of commercial impact? Mm, that's such a great question. Yeah. I, I kind of see it as twofold. So uh, the most kind of critical work that like robots or tech can't do, I think becomes more and more central to the insights role of the future. So for me, it's really around kind of the human empathy building and what I um, refer to as cultural savviness. I think that's becoming more and more critical, um, mm -hmm. uh, you know, as we get um, greater understanding of insight from our data sources, how do you then layer on an interpretation and ensure that you're executing it in the right ways, right? Mm -hmm. So that's where I think that kind of um, role will be critical to having that voice on the team that's helping interpret the learning and how we apply it and apply it in the best ways. So almost like a journalist, right? Like mm -hmm. of all the stuff that's going on and the sea of information around you, what is the headline, right? What's the bottom line? And I think that's really what um, the insights role is going to be able to do. Like, how do I become that ambassador for culture or that that kind of journalist who can help make sense of the world? Um, and then I think separately, and but interrelatedly, I think data science is going to become more and more of its own specialization. So if you're really mm -hmm. into um, the kind of science statistical modeling that side of, of what a lot of insights people do, I think that's going to become more and more of a specialization that will continue to grow and have prominence within organizations. So the idea of insights being a generalist is no more. I think that's that's a thing of the past. Do you think insights teams should fear from the data science teams or do you think some organizations use them interchangeably as one? Right. But from what you're saying, there seems to be sort of two separate paths for them. It's there's obviously the fear of automation and technology, but as you and I discussed it, it's it's an enabler. It has to be an enabler and the two need to work together. But when it comes to sort of the data science side, how should insights approach those sorts of teams mm. and those sorts of skills? Yeah, um, what I've found is that the data scientists are amazing at what they do, right? They really understand the math and the, um, the science behind how to model things. But where they lack experience is understanding how to interpret the information, right? Like they're not necessarily gonna be experts in how to make great creative, <laughs> and how to think about what the data mean, because as with anything, there's an art and a science component, right? Like the modeling gets you half 80% there or something like that, right? But there's an interpretive component and there's decisions you make that you can put mm -hmm. more emphasis on one thing or another. And so mm -hmm. um, it's an important partnership that will continue to forge. And I think to get the strongest outcomes, um, you have to be able to, to help the scientists, you know, get there, or perhaps you just become the scientist yourself, right? I think I'm having a, a background in statistics. A lot of our traditional training around regression analysis, for example, like it, it, it translates. So I think you yeah. could potentially say, I want to focus in and, and develop that as a specialization. And there's probably some skill gap and knowledge that you have to close, but I think that's not out of reach for people who have that background. Sure. 
Sure. So it's about working in partnership, essentially, yeah. what you're saying. Um, so that, that's a really nice segue into the next topic, because obviously you're working in, in partnership with um, a lot of smaller organisations, technology organisations, obviously with, with us as well. Um, that must have been an interesting journey for you. Do you want to sort of talk about that and what, what you've learned um, from that journey? Yeah, absolutely. Um, it, it definitely is is a very different um, way of approaching how we do our work, right? It's who we work with and forging partnerships rather than relying on kind of traditional supplier relationships is very exciting to me because um, it gives you an opportunity to co-create and do something new, but it also has its challenges, right? So um, if you think about like the, um, we partner, you know, obviously with Zappi and others um, who are kind of new, more tech-oriented type of startups, just a very different um, environment than, you know, a, a company like PepsiCo, which is uh, very, very large, like we're very compli complicated because it's almost like lots of little companies within a big company, right? When you kind of have that, that broad reach. But um, at the same time, like, you know, there's a lot to learn from, from smaller, more scrappy startups, right? But I think where it's the biggest tensions I've seen has been more the culture of, embracing technology which is not our area of expertise and technology is really is a difficult like software in particular is a difficult space huge amounts of unknowns right and when you embark on a new project and you're like okay we want to build this new tool uh all right my instinct is like okay when's it going to be ready <laughs> my life team's like we don't know we're like what <laughs> you know and so like and that pressure comes from my business leaders as well, which is like, what's the roadmap? Uh, what's the rollout? Like, when are things going to be ready? What's the schedule? And, you know, for any software developer who's listening, they're probably laughing, right? Because it's like, uh, it's impossible to really predict with um, <laughs> any level of certainty, right? And it's that embracing of the, um, we don't know what we don't know yet, and being comfortable with that uncertainty and how you communicate and navigate that has been a big challenge for me. And with agile and with technology, you have to just be like, more comfortable with uncertainty and yeah. having things sort of unfold the way that they do. So what mm. are the good things that you say you've got from stepping out the, the, the so-called corporate world and working more in partnership with these scrappy startups that perhaps you wouldn't have got within PepsiCo? Yeah, I mean, I think um, we in the past had started to embrace agile as a concept. We called it responsive ways of working, but it's mm -hmm. basically just like a internal branding around what mm -hmm. agile is. Um, and so I had some familiarity with um, how that approach works, but I think I always say like, well, I got it. I got schooled in a proper, in proper agile because it's one thing to apply agile to, I don't know, like an innovation project, um, but it's completely different, I think, to do it from a software perspective because you legitimately just don't know what you don't know. Mm -hmm. um, so I think I've gotten a much deeper understanding of, of the benefits of Agile, but also the pitfalls. The other areas, I think, um, like how to have fun, right? So um, if you look at the, the culture of a startup, and uh, particularly like Zappy, it's a really fun culture and people enjoy each other. It's very intellectual, but also like very witty and just, they're just funny and it's enjoyable to kind of be around. And I uh, appreciate things like when you're on a Zoom and everyone's chatting on the side and there's just a lot of fun, positive energy that, you know, we can learn from that, I think. Yeah. Yeah, it's good. We get the best of both worlds, I would say, by working <laughs> together. Um, 
agile is a term that's used a lot you know you can go like it's quite funny you go on conferences of course and you get the same terms used again you know you could do the bingo set what does agile mean to you I'm putting you on the spot here how would <laughs> you gonna, define it I'm sure the scrum masters of the world are going to say I'm <laughs> saying it wrong but I think for me it's a it's a way of working that is ideal for really ambiguous situations so mm -hmm. How are you going to tackle a problem? Uh, I'll give you an example. Like, how do you how do you automate research in India? Like, come on, it's like so hard, <laughs> right? Like, I don't even know where to begin. So, like, if you if you're feeling that way, that's well, Agile is designed for that. And so, it's really like a series of principles and ways of working, right? Which is um, sprint planning is basically saying, okay, I don't know, I I know what my end goal is, my objective is this. How do I start today to get to there? And that idea of two weeks sprinting, I think is a really clever way to organize mm -hmm. work. And then the standup is also a nice tool within Agile, which is just like, get the team together. And we can't do it physically anymore, but you know, through Zoom, quick standup. Okay, mm -hmm. how are you progressing? Are you getting blocked? And that where are you getting blocked? Raise your hand, ask for help. It's just like a faster way of dealing with ambiguity and problems and getting kind of the teams to move together collectively against the right goals. Um, the other tool within Agile that I think has been really helpful um, is objective setting. So the uh, OKR framework, which is pretty well known from Google quarterly or you know monthly or whatever works for you, basis really getting clear with the team on this is what the objective is, what we need to accomplish and how the key result piece, how are we gonna measure that we've done that? And that mindset is I think important to layer onto sprints because otherwise you don't know if you've actually accomplished your goals. Like you're making progress, but is it where we needed to yeah. get to or not? So the combination of those tools together for me is when I think agile, I think of those things. <laughs> You've got it, Kay. You are really part of uh, a startup now. Um, <laughs> so if you think about your sort of journey in your current role where you're looking to drive a change at scale, you know, through the platform you're looking to implement, through um the automation of various products to you know um driving you know for insights professionals being strategic business partners as a leader in this space and if you were to advise other peers in other sort of organizations and industries what are the top three or four learnings that you say in driving the sustain? These are the things that I've learned are the most important things that you need to do. That's a really good question. Uh, it's hard to narrow in. I think the first is one we've talked a bit about over the, the course of the conversation, but this idea of getting really clear about what drives impact and what doesn't. And um, having the ability to kind of always take a step back and say, is this worth it? Um, I, I talk about applying a complexity ROI a lot with the team, right? Like, is the complexity you're adding worth it or not? And mm -hmm. this is important because when you're dealing, like in a lot of ways, what we're doing is servicing, right? We're servicing our clients, which are our insights managers on the ground, but also to the business, right? And so you have to balance like, okay, if the user wants something, is it actually good and worth it or not? And choosing which hills you want to die on, <laughs> right? Like, because at times it's fine, we need to accommodate. And actually maybe it makes sense to you because the people know the category or the, you know, the, mm -hmm. uh, the category or the brands or the business are better than you do. But at other times you have to really challenge people. So it's kind of picking and choosing which battles um, you, you want to fight. Um, and then I think that piece of 
if you're going to bring in house and rely less on external research companies, um, recognizing that that's going to take time and it's going to require support. So ensuring that you've got that um, kind of in your team, almost that servicing kind of mindset of, of being able to help uh, give people that reassurance that like, you're not going to be the only one in the room having to make this tough call with, you know, your um, agency partners and your marketing team. Like the ad didn't test well, you've got a friend here. Yeah. Yeah. So that, that sort of confidence building trust, the hyper care throughout that transitionary period seems like, seems really, really important. Yeah, I guess the last sort of thought, I didn't mention this, but it's interrelated, uh, is that platform mindset. So like, think about platform every day, right? (laughs) How can I get more out of the information that I have? How can we prove that we're getting smarter and smarter and Mm -hmm. not just pay lip service to that, but really ensure that you're building the right infrastructure and making the right investments to deliver on that? Single use is no more. Yeah, and that platform mindset is new to our industry. It's not so new to other industries, is it? You've got, you, you have like Salesforce um, yeah. and other software platforms, but within the insight industry, it is new because um, typically insight professionals do think project by project, unless you've got a tracking vehicle. Um, and I guess what you're trying to do is move away from that mindset to actually learn from what we have and be smarter over time. Um, right, exactly which I think is, you know, is incredible. Does it mean that as well as skilling up insight professionals in a different way and that sort of going, you know, that almost that transformation from being that internal consultant, does it mean you need new types of skills within your teams and recruit new types of people in that you don't currently have? Um, well, yeah, I would say definitely within my own team, it, it has the, the transformation that we're trying to drive has driven us towards, well, we do need diverse talent in, um, Mm -hmm. in, in particular around kind of, um, what do you call it? Diversity of thought. So like, for example, um, one of my colleagues on my team is, uh, comes from an IT background because you need people who are technologists because they're going to bring a completely different set of skills and mindset to the table. We have a person on the team who's a traditional marketer. And uh, as somebody who's sort of ultimately an end user of, of what we're trying to accomplish and having that different mindset in the room has been, been really helpful. So those are just two examples, but I think that you're going to see more of that in, um, cross-pollination happening mm-hmm. as, uh, as we become more integrated as marketing, as a broad function, think about marketing as a big umbrella, as you start to drive efficiencies and um, integration as, as a function in, in accomplishing these goals, which is a great opportunity for, for a quote unquote insights person, right? Because they're going to have, I think, opportunities to move about yeah. our organizations in more effective ways as we go forward and contribute in yeah. different and exciting ways. Yeah. So we've talked about change a lot. One of the sort of key points that came out during an interview that Ryan did with Eric Salama, I don't know if you got a chance to listen to that. It was, uh, yeah, I did. It's it was great. a great interview. Was what's what are the constants? Because like we're all like driving to do something different, something better. But our industry is such a great industry to be in, and at the core of what we're trying to do is help our business make better decisions and understand consumers. Within all this change you're looking at, what are the things that you think will always remain the same and it's important that they remain the same? Mm, mm, that's such a great question. I think it, it to me comes back to kind of base knowledge around behavioral science and understanding bias 
bias is always going to be a problem that you have to manage, right? And we need to be experts in that and understanding that. And that kind of layering on top of that, there is a curiosity uh, component to all kind of insights work, which is like, how do we provide interesting storytelling to the business that helps them see that bias and make better decisions around it? The tendency towards um, kind of group think or, you know, just forgetting that we're not the consumer and thinking like, you know, look at my amazing thing. And <laughs> well, it doesn't necessarily resonate with people that who are not you, you know, I think that to me is going to be the constant and an area where we have to continue to be the experts. And I would say we aren't anywhere near uh, as savvy about applying behavioral science internally as we are about thinking about it externally. So mm -hmm. you hear all the time, right? System one, system one, everyone's obsessed with it, right? Um, when it comes to, can we make better methodology and how we engage consumers? But you don't hear as much of that coming from our function about implying it, uh, applying it internally. Right. But I think that actually where you see some of the biggest challenges in how people use learning is, you know, because of bias internally, mm -hmm. right? Where how many times did people get the warning or, you know, get the feedback, this isn't a good opportunity or good idea and the teams disregard it. Yeah. And then you end up making bad decisions as an organization because of that. So that area I'm really fascinated with is I think it's a constant um, and it's how do we help improve that piece of it? Um, mm -hmm. using our skill sets and our curiosity and kind of storytelling prowess to get people motivated in the right ways. Yeah, interesting, interesting. So, I mean, we're nearly at the end of our interview and God, what a year it's been. We're all stuck at home and it's hard. It's going to be a hard winter and, you know, mm. normally we'd be jumping on planes and going to see each other. And what are the things that you think, yeah, this is going to be really exciting for a future um, and looking to 2021 in the midst of all this gloom that we have? <laughs> right, right. Well, uh, I assume you mean on a professional level, right? Professional level and personal level. Okay. So on yeah. a professional level, I would say that uh, what really excites me about this space around platform learnings and meta is I think that in storytelling, I think that we have an opportunity to really become a powerhouse on publishing. So with the, the new Ada site, yeah. we have a whole space where we're going to be pushing content out. Um, and I'm really excited about like sharpening that skill set and, and using that. Like, well, how do we take all this great information and make it com really compelling? We're also working on um, kind of a newsletter for our marketing leadership of bite-sizable um, case studies. And, you know, the material right now, to be frank, is a little bit dry. So I'm excited about thinking about how can you use things like um, video to spice it up and tell those stories in ways that really motivate and compel people to want to make the change. So mm -hmm. that's an area where I feel like we're very underdeveloped in our thinking. And I like, I'm excited intellectually to kind of spend time on that. Um, I think on a personal level, uh, we have been enjoying going out to dinner a, a bit, you know, but sitting outdoors. So I'm trying to get um, myself motivated mm -hmm. of like, uh, do we take on a like mini projects? So over the summer um, well, when we went into the full lockdown earlier this year, I took up needlepoint, I started a painting project, like it's a, it's a book where you paint um, 50 different little pictures and it teaches you the techniques. So I'm gonna pick those things back up because I have, it, since it's gotten a little bit more open, we haven't, I haven't had as much time. So I'm expecting I'm gonna be sort of in lockdown again this winter. So I'd like to do that. And then I was thinking maybe like pick up a, a 
you know, a cook your way through an X, Y, you know, the, like these kind of like projects that you can give yourself some motivation and something to do yeah. because it, it definitely is a bit boring, but it's like, how do you use that boring uh, sort of downtime to do something enriching for you and your family. So yeah. it's interesting because when we first all went into lockdown, um, where like travel just got cancelled, everybody went into this hyper mode of of trying out different things, right. and you know, and then we've just gone into this dip of Zoom fatigue, and you know, we've stopped having Zoom calls with families and friends. You right. know, the thought of it just like, oh no, can't bear it. Right. But you're right, it's with winter coming up, you know, with everybody working from home, there's going to have to be this sense of how do you keep yourself going and motivated throughout that period. So uh, I, right. I personally keep on thinking about taking up a musical instrument, which I've been meaning to ah. do and keep yeah. on talking to my husband about it, but I just need to actually make it happen. Um, and maybe right. we can motivate each other and um, you can show me your paintings and I can play you a tune of whatever musical instrument I decide to take up. I or love that. <laughs> so, um, Kate, thank you so much for your time. Um, this has been really interesting. And yeah, um, likewise. <laughs> it's been really good to find this space to to talk to each other out of our daily roles and what we're driving. I'm sure I'll speak to you again. Thanks so much and, and take care. Thank you. Bye. So that was my interview with Kate. Um, Ryan, what did you think? I thought it was awesome. Uh, similar to what you said prior to the episode, Kate's somebody who I know really well, I've worked with really closely for a long time. And so to zoom out a bit in that in that interview was awesome. I can only imagine how how much we would have covered if you had both of them recorded. You know? But <laughs> you know, the thing that the thing that strikes out to me is Kate has embodied the very reason why we started this podcast, which yeah. is she's embraced change. I mean, so I remember vividly when I first met Kate, she was running insights projects for the, for the global snacks business at Pepsi. And we were concurrently coming up with this insane joint venture between the two companies. Mm -hmm. And then she was going to join the team. And this is before, this is before you were joining the team because you were still managing Kantar at that time. And she was a researcher. And now she's a digitally transformed program manager. She's taking an entire insights function and, and automating key components and understanding the people and the process and the politics and, and working within them. And so I know this is an interview about Kate, but the work that you two have both done with a really unique partnership between a soda company and a software company <laughs> um, is, uh, is something that people should study as they're thinking about partnerships and, and change management. So, yeah. and I'm, I'm really glad that you folks did it. Yeah, no, it, I, I totally echo what you're saying about Kate. And, and as we see through our insight lines, there's lots more people in that, um, or insights professionals that are transitioning to that position and coming from focusing on what a brand tracker should consist of to really learning what agile means and um, what scrum masters mean. And, you know, just really being open to a new way of working has been a real privilege to see um so as you say it's something that other insight professionals who are, are looking to take the skills that they have and move into this kind of role should really reach out to to Kate and then talk to her more but actually one of the things obviously that we talk about understanding misunderstandings and this is a really good segue into our sort of final part of this podcast is um, digital transformation mm -hmm. and that's something Kate and I um 
talked about, um, you know, digital transformation, for me, my career has been around for many, many years, but it means different things. So it's something that is commonly misused and commonly misunderstood. So what do you think digital transformation means for our industry, Ryan? Wow. You know, digital transformation is like such a buzzword that I'm not even sure that I can unpack it. So if you think about it, as you say, that term has been around for a long time Mm -hmm. because in the early 2000s, it became accessible for businesses to reach consumers easily, to transact on the internet and to disrupt supply chains, Amazon, Google, Mm -hmm. Apple, Facebook, Netflix. I mean, all these companies that we all still put in all our keynotes. Um, and I love them all. They change the world. Um, I think what, what you're seeing here is businesses are at varying degrees of their journey to modernize their business models, to mm-hmm. shake their legacy supply chains and ways of working and organizational structures and cultures and technology. Um, and so it's, a, it's an initiative that I think a lot of organizations are on a long journey with. Mm-hmm. But for whatever reason, it seems to be an initiative that is vogue right now more than ever. Yeah. Um, and, and I can only attribute it, Babita, to the fact that nobody has a choice. I mean, Zappy's a six-year-old startup. We had to evolve our business model two years mm-hmm. ago. Um, mm-hmm. And so to me, it's, 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 distilled into, it's distilled into the fact that people move, markets move, companies need to keep up. And companies that have supply chain-oriented business models from the 70s can't operate at a competitive scale regardless of how big their brand is in this, in this marketplace today in 2020, 2021. Um, and so digital transformation is this act of kind of looking at a business ecosystem from culture to systems, to processes, to talent, um, and optimizing it so that it can play in, a, in an on-demand climate. What do you think it is though? Yeah. If I relate it to our industry specifically, way, way back then, digital transformation could have been from going from telephone research to online research today. It, it's a means for insight professionals to work within their organizations to provide better insights faster, mm-hmm. to enable smarter learning. What's key is if you're in a digital transformation role, you need to be clear as to the business benefit. What is it that, what is it that you're trying to do with that transformation? Um, and you need to take the people along with you because transformation is not just the technology but it's the people that work with it as well Mm -hmm. so digital transformation sometimes you think it needs to be a a tech person but actually I think it needs to be somebody like Kate who understands yes um, the the legacy of their their department and the, the role of insights but manage stakeholders and manage people manage processes so it's about it's about improvement but you need to be clear on what that improvement is. You know, and it is interesting, as much as it's a a buzzword, there is a correlation between the Kates of the world, the Matt Cahills of the world, the Michelle Gansleys of the world, the Christian from Colgate's of the world, and their desire to digitally transform Mm -hmm. and brands that are hitting their Q3 numbers, Mm -hmm. insights departments that are growing, budgets that are growing. Mm -hmm. And there's another correlation between those who say, we're just going to keep doing it the way we've always been doing it and job cuts and budget cuts. So all I know is the companies that are pushing the ball forward are winning. So yes. I'm glad that we can unpack the definition, but there is a correlation between that desire to change and optimize mm-hmm. yeah. and performance. And let's face it, COVID 
has only accelerated that need. Totally. Totally. I mean, you know this, Babita, we, we both, we both been in this game too long. Like, Oh, we can't do X because it changes the trend lines. Who gives a shit about the trend lines when we're in a global pandemic? It doesn't matter. So now all of a sudden, everybody who needed one is, is getting the benefit of a, it doesn't matter what the trend lines were because mm-hmm. we're in a new environment. We're, we, you know, we're, we're operating where trend lines are being created and there's uncertainty in front of us, you know? So um, yeah. I think that's a really good point you make. As always, Ryan, um, it's good to have deep and meaningful conversations with you about digital transformation and anything else. So um, I look forward to our next podcast. Please reach out to us if you'd like to hear us interview anybody. You can find us at insideinsights at zappystore.com. And Babita, I think for our next episode, uh, given I haven't seen your lovely face in person in nine months or however long, I think we should bring some champagne to the next episode. I just think it's the right thing to do, Babs. That you know sounds I mean? like a grand idea. Super pumped. Thanks, Babita.